are you? Richard. Welcome, Hi. Welcome home. Welcome back from your spring break. My little spring break. I always did, remember, like, maybe you don't remember, but back many years ago when MTV first came out and they would show they would show spring break at Daytona Beach and those muscle cars and everything. Right, everybody crowded um, around. That's That was our version of watching it on TV, you know, for spring break or Palm Springs. But I'm like, I finally get to go, not to Daytona Beach, but I went to Tampa with my kids and had a fabulous time with a girlfriend of mine that lives there. Let me ask you a question about that. I just came to mind. Ooh, and it made me feel like New Orleans. Like it was, there's so much history there. Oh my gosh. Well, that's related to this question, which is when you go to a new place like that, mm -hmm. uh, do you find yourself talking to spirits that are locals? I mean, you know, local Floridians, let's put it that way. Well, for instance, our, we went on this little boat, river, like, you know, pontoon boat, we, whatever. I think it was a bar boat. <laughs> I think a little tiki, a tiki boat. That's what it tiki was. Boat. Right. Okay. And he was talking about certain things that happened. I'm like, was there a fire over there? And he's like, well, that is where the ship actually was on fire and sank to the bottom. Like, so it was interesting, but I would get these flashes of what happened in the past, you know, every place that we were, you know, everywhere we were, it was fascinating for me, but it had that feel of being so old. There was so much history there. You know, I felt mobsters constantly. Wow. I felt um there was mobsters there were and then i and then it colonial days like people wearing those hats and like ships coming in it was it was pretty interesting that it is it's beautiful. wild you and i talked about this a long time ago about taking you into a museum excuse me and uh having you walk around and getting a vibe from the various paintings you know yeah. to see maybe to walk into the era when it was being painted, you know, and who, who was the artist who was painting and then what was the model like, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that idea, I thought it would be fun because, you know, you could go to these fantastic museums and look at these great paintings, but with it, somebody with a gift like yours, I mean, we did this once. We, uh, I asked you in a weird way to speak directly to someone named Simonetta, Vespucci, a name most people don't know, but art historians do. Uh, she was the model for The Birth of Venus by Sandro Botticelli. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we, uh, you very specifically described her, what she was like, what her story was. And, you know, it's mind bending to me as well, even though I'm asking the questions. But I'm, because I've done a lot of research of that era and that time, I kind of knew her, who her family was. I knew who her husband was, the brother of the guy who uh, was a map maker who, who named America. You know, those kinds of small details that I can then throw out at you and say, you know, how's your, how's your brother-in-law doing? Uh, you know, Amerigo. Anyway. Yeah, interesting. So, it, you know, and it also, it's also to, to help people that are out there listening in. Right, who, I was just gonna say that, I'm like, we're having this discussion because anyone can actually just kind of pick up on what they get. So let's talk about process a little bit. What, so let's say somebody goes some, well, there are two choices. One is you want to learn something about a place you've just come to and you want to examine it. That's one. But the other one is you are somewhere and you get a weird vibe. Could be negative, could be positive. Right. How do you then tap into that vibe to try to learn more information or something new? Well, so one of the things that was very interesting for me to learn and makes perfect sense is that if you have any fear whatsoever from the get-go, you can't get a clear read. So, but like what you said, if you show up so and you get the kind of ibby jibbies and you might even get the chills that are kind of creepy because chills either come for confirmation to let you know, actually, even with that, they come for confirmation to let you know what you're thinking. So if you, like, it happens all the time when spirit comes in. So if you get those weird chills, pay attention to what you're thinking about. If you feel like there's something, or if you feel like, you know, you should be looking in your rearview mirror to see if a car is going too fast behind you, you know, those little flashes are unprecedented on 
how you should navigate. Um, and if you're getting thoughts before you go to a place, pay attention to those. Pay well, I, what comes to mind is, uh, we might have mentioned this before, but there have been three places in my life where I've walked into a structure. Um, and I, I'm aware of the fact that, like, for example, I went to Anne Frank's house. And on the way up the really steep stairs, I banged my knee really badly, like, you know, on the step. So I was aware of that. I was walking around like, ow, 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 feeling ow. So I wasn't really focused on where I was other than I had read her book and I had, you know, and seen the movies and stuff like that. And I do remember walking into one of the rooms and looking out the window and seeing a tree down there and saying, oh, that's that tree that she used to talk about. But then I wandered into a room where they had copies of the old, of all of her books translated all over the world. And as I walked in there, I was overcome with sadness. I mean, to the point of tears. And I was thinking to myself, okay, this is weird. Where's this coming from? I, my knee hurts. I'm not really focused on what happened. I mean, I, I'm aware of what happened. And I, but this overwhelming, like I couldn't breathe. So then I stepped out of the room and the feeling went away. And then I stepped back into the room and the feeling came back. Now I've heard, I've shared this on Quora with some people and, and I've heard other people say, yeah, I've had that same feeling. So, but the idea is it's not so much that people have died there, let's say, right? Going into cemetery, you know, like, oh, right. this is something that, this is, it appears to be people who go there and deposit some form of energy or sadness to that location. And I just want to sort of maybe think about that for well, a second. If you think about when you go into the beautiful cathedrals, despite the fact that we're in awe with architecture in Europe and Rome, for instance, think about all the people going in there with the same, like, wow, you know, the energy collects. And so a lot of times people either feel good in churches or they feel really bad because a lot of people that go to church want redemption, right? For doing something right. right something they're they're there for a reason right and so i mean it can go either way but it's not necessarily it's it could be the the energy that keeps coming through that room you know people will going through that room that feel that way so now why did you mention rome i'm just curious it just popped into my head it popped into your head now two weeks ago <laughs> we had an unusual chat with my father who came forward and and he was chastising me for not asking him who greeted him on the other side and we we ended up he right. revealed that it was the family dog and and so we talked about that a little bit about animals on the flip side and mm -hmm. how people can access their loved ones but at some point i said so what are you doing now dad and my father was an architect um very successful uh, in Chicago, and he yeah. he was at Hollabaird Root, really famous architectural firm. Worked on the Baha'i Temple, um, the glassware. He said he was hanging out with a couple of sculptors, a couple of architects. Sorry, and the two he named were Michelangelo and Bernini. Okay, yeah. and of course, you say that, and your mind goes bang. You know what? 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 And. Um, but you have to allow whatever it is that comes forward, it comes forward. So, but because we just, I glossed over it, I'd like to ask Bernini a couple of questions. Hold on a second. Luana tapped me on the shoulder and she just came back. Give me a second. All right. And Lou has precedence. If she wants to I, she, get somebody else, I, that's fine. You must have been already going the direction i mean we both are on the same wavelength with all of our stuff right now um wavelength by the way hold on no bernini and michelangelo okay go ahead okay and lou is this who you have on your guest list yeah okay very good and i know i thought about it two weeks ago like oh what was i thinking but before we get to mick who is a unusual cat unto himself everybody knows the story of michelangelo not so many know about Bernini. Um, I know he's a, so what I know is he's a sculpture, sculptor. Sculptor, yeah, that's correct. And I didn't even know that, was he an architect? He was an architect, okay. yeah, exactly. And quite a few of those guys back in those days did both, you know, uh, I think probably because of income, you know, it helped. Um, but I want to ask you, uh, Mr. Bernini, 
because you lived about a hundred years after our friend Michelangelo there. Um, I want to know about the model for the statue. He's, He's all laughing. Thankful. He's like, thank God. Oh, <laughs> what? Well, and why? Was it a better era? Was it more fun? Was it easier he to just navigate? Tells me he was a lot bigger. Like there wasn't enough room for the both of them. Oh, okay. But let me ask you about the model. And, for... and then he shows me jumping off of, <laughs> jumping off of Michelangelo's coattails. Like he set the, he paved the he way. Set, yeah, like, paved the way. Yeah. And some of your statues were you in. Did body of David or David? Sorry. He, uh, I can't believe I said the body. Somebody told me, never mind. Just yes, he did a David. Bernini did a David, a sculpture of David. Okay. Uh, his was a little bit more dramatic. I will you talk about it, Bernini? What was what was the difference between yours and Michelangelo's? He said he had more curves. He said he had more curves. He's showing me more like more depth. So Jennifer, you've never seen the statue by Bernini, okay? No, I've that seen is correct. David. I've seen David, but you've not seen Michelangelo's David, right? right? Yeah, who hasn't? Um, actually, it was one of my Christmas cards one year. I found a way to get a hat, Christmas Santa hat on his head. But let's go to Bernini's David. Okay. okay. So what are you showing her? You're showing her a head no, movement. Different. Sorry. It feels like more wind was put into the sculpture. Like there was more, I can't. Well, let's more call depth. it more depth. There, let's call more it more depth windy. Each, wind in terms wind, of. Wind, yeah, keeps moving. And then he's showing me it's the, what's different between the two is the type of stone or the clay. Like, well, that's very possible. The, the Carrera marble in, in general. Michelangelo's Carrera marble, we're going to talk about that in a second, but Bernini's marble, it probably was from Carrera, but it might have been a different, a different area. That's a, a town in Italy. It's like a different texture. So either he made the sculpture a different texture than, Bern, than Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Okay, very good. And he, well, he, did, he, show, well, he showed me how smooth. It's much more smoother. Much smoother. And that could be because of age decay. Okay. Let's just call it what it is, which is, uh, I'll tell you, Bernini's David is in motion. And he's in the act of, of hurling the stone. Literally has the stone, he's turned and he's in the midst of the throw. And so he, I think he's even biting his tongue. And, and he's in the, like an athlete, like completely focused on, because this stone is gonna kill uh, the giant, right? So he chose, look, when you create a sculpture, everything is about the moment in time. And so in the history of humanism, in the history of art, and history of Renaissance, people started all the way back with the Greeks where you would just have a statue stand stock still and then create the person. And then eventually it became more and more supple. Then you had movement. So the Greeks were good at movement. And eventually that got lost. And then the Romans picked that up. And the Romans did movement and that got lost. And then the Renaissance, the rebirth, they started movement again. Okay. okay. And in, uh, so in, in the Pietà, Michelangelo's sculpture, you've got, that's like a sculpture lesson. You've got Mary holding the dead body of Jesus. So that's like a whole dramatic thing that people hadn't seen before. But in Bernini's David, he's literally an athlete on the field in the midst of a, like a javelin throw. Think of a javelin throw and it's like that frozen sports illustrated uh you know is that correct bernini is that am i if i got that right <laughs> do you know what that means okay yeah. that's italian for perfect okay sign language I'm, I'm getting a lot of it from people on the flip side the other day i got this which means <laughs> thank you that's Thank you. Awesome. It's sign language because the person was telling me they're doing this to you. I don't know what that means. I said, I think it means, sign, you know, thank you. She was like, yeah. Anyway, my question to you, sir, who greeted you on the other side when you crossed over? Who was there to greet you? His mother. His mother. His Wait, mother. Mama. Question for you. I felt like he had a couple of sisters. I don't know. It felt like he was... Well, we know he had a mother. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm teasing. 
so he, he was surrounded by women, it felt like, very elegant women that came to greet him. And so one I felt was definitely his mother. And then the other two, I'm not sure if they were sisters or friends. They just, again, they felt, um, why are you showing me the birth of Venus? Like Simonetta Vespucci? Yeah. Like her. All right, but let me ask you about, I'm going to, he might be anticipating the question I'm about to ask. And that's, we this happens You're all the time. in love with her? Well, hang on. Are you referring to the model that you used for the statue of St. Teresa? Is that the same person who came to greet you on the other side? Is that what you're saying? You could say no. Oh, yeah. He knows what I'm referring to. She Jennifer died. does not. She died tragically, it feels uh -huh. like. I'm not sure, but it felt like either she was sick, she got really sick. Okay, hang on, hang on. Let's, we're going to clarify this for a second. That describes Simonetta Vespucci, who died tragically at the age of 21. She got very sick and she died. And the whole city of Florence celebrated her in quite a number of paintings painted after she passed away by, her, by Lorenzo de' Medici's uncle, Sandro Botticelli. Those, is that who you're referring to? Are you referring to Simonetta or are you referring to this Teresa? Because the girl who posed for the statue of Teresa. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to clarify. For art historians out there, he they know. He showed, thank you. He showed me a love, which was Simonetta. So that's the only way he was shown. Like, that's the only way he. Yeah, that's an example of love. Okay. And they're Especially very similar. One had lighter hair than the other one had dark. Very interesting. Well, let me tell you, there is a statue in Rome. I think it's the Church of San Lorenzo. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be another one. But anyway, uh, sorry. Where there's a statue of St. Teresa in Ecstasy. That's the name of the statue. And if you want to look it up, just look up Teresa in Ecstasy. And you'll find this statue. And it's a woman in like such a dramatic uh, example of ecstasy because it's based on the story or the mythology of a woman who God spoke to her, sent a shaft of light down into her, and she had ecstasy. Let's put it that way. But the... It sounds like a man-made story. But. Well, it's so sensual. I just want to say the statue oh. is so sensual as to almost be shocking. And like when you stand in front of it, you're like, oh my gosh, who's that? So that's right. what I'm asking Bernini. Who was this woman who, was the po who posed for that? And did you know her in that way? We grew up together. It, he's showing me being younger, holding her hand. We went to school together. It felt like they went to school together. I see them taking turns, either modeling or doing stuff together. Um, was she an artist or wanted to be or? She was a muse. A muse. And were you guys a couple at some point in your life? She just, he just showed me Salvador Dali. I know that's a different era. Hold on. Well, Salvador Dali and his wife, uh, she was the muse for him. Right. Okay. Quite a few of his, his paintings and works are about her. Is that why you said you showed her that? Yeah. Hold on a second. Oh, Did, was there a, do we know if he liked men too? Michelangelo did. But he's, it's possible. It's the era. They were pretty wide open back in those days. Let's put it that way. People got married for... We celebrated both. We celebrated both. Very good. You know, it's weird. I'm thinking of myself. I was a humanities major in college. I know a lot about art history. It's never paid off until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, uh, in terms of your journey, I used to love art, by the way. I have studied art. I just haven't studied it in the way you have. Well, for some reason, it, it, it appealed to me in this weird way. And of course, I was doing a, a past life regression and found myself smack dab in the Renaissance. I'd written a HBO miniseries about the era. And it was like, oh my gosh, I knew these people. Anyway, that was, that's another story. But for this purposes, Bernini, in terms of your craft, you're a sculptor. You're he's also showing me. He's showing me it coming from the heavens. From the heavens. Okay. What does that mean? Well, when, when, I don't. 
ice cup. That's what I mean. What does he mean? He channeled it. He channeled it. Channeled it. So like channeling, were you a sculptor in a previous lifetime or is that? He'd wake up, he says he'd wake up and he'd start sketching. Very good. And then he's showing me, um, he's showing me, uh, what's his name? Albert Einstein. Hello. Albert Einstein is sitting in the chair getting his information. And Bernini says that he would sleep and wake up and get, or sometimes in the middle of the night and get him you know, and start sketching. Get inspired. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Bernini, if you don't mind, uh, I was going to ask you questions about the Vatican, but eh, and the Popes. Eh. But let's go ahead. What does William, he want to say? No, William Shakespeare showed up. I'm like, were you guys even around each other? And he's like, no, we were. But well, actually, actually, they're in the they're in the same time frame. Michelangelo, I'm sorry, uh, Bernini. Bernini, he showed me like being like far apart, but. But oh, what's the why? Same, the same insight of. Same inspiration, channeling from the heavens. Is that why you brought Will in? We've talked to Will before and. And they like hanging out, yes. People don't like us talking to Will because it upsets them, but whatever. Anyway, they don't mind it. People on the flip side. But let's go back to let's go back to our buddy Mick Michelangelo, if you don't mind, sir. I know that's it's. See, most people don't know Bernini, so it's okay for me to ask uh, questions to somebody nobody's ever heard of or they don't know that well about. Let's say, but for Michelangelo, everyone kind of knows his story. They've seen you know movies okay. about him. I've been to the Sistine Chapel and yeah, exactly. And they've been to Florence and they've seen his masterwork. I want to ask you a question uh, about the David. It's from my understanding that you won that sculpture. You, had, you entered a contest at the age of 25 for this massive piece of Carrera marble. He's talking um, about 14. I know you said 25, but was it something that he tried for since he was 14? I don't know. Oh, since he was 14, I, I don't know. I, I think it, since it, when he was about, when he was 11, apparently, according to the story, he was found by Lorenzo de' Medici. He was actually in the academia uh -huh. working as a sculptor early on in clay. And according okay. to legend, Lorenzo, okay. sorry, Lorenzo adopted him, brought him home and made him part of the Platonic Academy where they would read Plato in Greek and they would, you know, study the Greeks, the birth of the Renaissance. And Lorenzo was, I think, 18 or 19 years old. He was a poet, quite accomplished, but he was also like the son of the banker. So he ran the city. What was your relationship with Lorenzo? <laughs> he said it was a push and pull. We loved each other deeply, he's saying. He's saying Lorenzo is very inspiring, very inspirational. And, he, very good. I, and I felt like he looked up to him. Very good. And of course, I think, I can't remember the exact uh, age you were when his brother Giuliano was murdered, which was, I think, 1492. <laughs> Listen to me. Um, were you friends with Giuliano? Maybe that was the 14 that kept coming in. Oh, good. He just showed me Giuliano being very distant, so okay. I don't know. That's, all, that's fine. He was the brother of Lorenzo, very like popular guy. He posed for a lot of, or a number of paintings for his uncle, uh, Sandro Botticelli. He's in Primavera, let's put it that way. Him and Simonetta Vespucci. So Michelangelo, yeah. it's, at some, go ahead. There was a trust factor, he says, that he didn't have with him, like he did with Lorenzo. Oh, with Giuliano, okay. At some point, you, I think Lorenzo dies at uh, old age, gout in his 30s, not old age, just in his 30s. And you, and the city kind of fell apart and the Medici's disappeared. And you ended up moving to uh, Rome. And you ended up working at some point for Lorenzo's son, actually, and Giuliano's son, illegitimate son. Giuliano had a, an illegitimate son with an African uh, maid. That boy was made a cardinal when he was like 10 or 11 by his uncle Lorenzo because Lorenzo's brother had been murdered. And so he took a son and he put him in the 
and because the people who murdered his brother were the Vatican. So Lorenzo's idea was, let's shift who's in the Vatican. So he put his nephew in there, and that guy became Pope Clement the fifth, I think, or the sixth, but he hired Lorenzo, uh, Michelangelo to come to Rome. He hired him, he brought him to Rome. So wow. Giuliano's boy brought Michelangelo. So what was that like to go to Rome to work for Giuliano's son? He says it was lots of fun, parties. He's throwing that confetti up. <laughs> Wee! Wee! And then he felt the pressure. Right. It was just never ending. He showed me it was never ending. And, and you mean pressure in terms and of the felt, and then he showed me like a lock and key, like he I, I wow, hold on. He felt like a prisoner. Very good. Because at some point the Vatican becomes the person in charge of your career and you can't leave because you have stuff to finish. Um but then Lorenzo's son, after Lorenzo passed away, he becomes Pope Leo X. And he's known as the humanist Pope because he was a, somebody who helped the arts. But what was your relationship with Leo? With Lorenzo's son? It was a breath of fresh air. Oh, okay. Hold Very on. Good. But that ended real soon, like real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Because of what? Was it the Sistine Chapel? Because I know uh, Leo hired you to do the Sistine Chapel. It was that and paint, like other paintings that were commissioned to go elsewhere. So not okay. just the Sistine Chapel. Not just the Sistine Chapel. Uh, okay, I got a weird artist. He showed me, he showed me the Fitzy. The what? The Fitzy. Oh, sorry. Oh, the Pete, the uh, what? Spell. Borghese, Borghese, okay, one of the museums and- that Yeah, the Borghese, that's right, the Borghese, after uh, Leo was gone, the Borghese popes came along and the Borghese gardens have a number of his, there's a, there's a museum there where they have a number of his sculptures. Got it, okay. But, you know, in terms of this story, I try to focus on the emotional stuff. What always really made me curious. So at some point, uh, you are commissioned to do the tomb of the Medici in Florence. And you go back to Florence and you're hired by the nephews of the Medicis. You're talking but, about Michelangelo. No. Michelangelo, yeah. And when he goes back there, the tomb of the Medici, he does uh, night and day. Those are the two sculptures. But they both represent the brothers. One is Lorenzo and one is Giuliano. Mm -hmm. And when they uncovered the coffin a hundred years later, after everybody was out of there, they discovered the two brothers had been buried together in the same coffin because Lorenzo wanted it that way. He wanted his brother's bones with him. But at the time when Michelangelo did these two amazing sculptures of night and day, one a soldier and one a poet, I just, you know, I'm talking about it. You talk about it, Michelangelo. Why did you choose a poet and a soldier? He's saying both of them were each of them. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, true. He's they were both soldiers. They yeah. Were both soldiers, and they were both of the arts. And um, they fought against each other. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, they had some conflicts. That's true. I never thought about that. But yeah, of course. But when one's brother is murdered by the Pope, you really got to, that's what got him. So, so now let me ask you about a couple of your sculptures, if I can. Just specific questions. The Moses that you did that's in Rome, the Statue of Moses, it has horns on his head. Now, people say that that's a being so hard over that. He's okay. like, entertainment. That's what was that about? Huh. It was to show the sacrifice, like a lamb. He first showed me that he was the sacrifice. He showed me the Ten Commandments or whatever, the book, the thing that, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's, so that's sorry, right. Guys. 
So he showed me that, and then he's showing me how he brought all these people to a different land, and then he showed me the seas parting. It's about sacrifice, it feels like. Okay, and I just want to help you out here, Mick, if I can. Um, I, you know, he's showing you the mythology of Moses, Correct. the mm -hmm. story of Moses. Apparently, from what I've heard, there's a mistranslation in one of the texts, one of the biblical references to Moses, and they were talking about like almost like a, an etheric halo around the guy, but it was translated as horns, which is the source of the you know the kind of racist thing that people have you know said for centuries about Jewish people having horns, and it just became a, it was a mistranslation. Let's just call it that. But so now when you look at your sculpture, knowing probably you've probably met Moses, let's just say you probably run into him on the flip side. Is it, are you, do you get ribbed over that? People tease you over the fact that you put horns on this guy's head? No, they think it's fantastic. <laughs> they just think it's, they, they just, they're just showing the pot being stirred. He was so obedient. He's, I was so obedient that everything was literal in writing and etheric by nature in painting. Okay, so I understand. What he's saying is that in the contract, it basically said, this guy's got horns, you gotta put it in there. I mean, so let's go back to the David for a second. This massive piece of marble that you worked on, according to Peter Rockwell. My did, he, did he get it, the stone from France? No, stone came from Carrera. And I was in Carrera when my professor, Peter Rockwell, son of Norman Rockwell, who Did was a sculptor. Did he come in three parts? No. Let me just tell you. So I was in Carrera. This is really funny. So if I'm being shown this, then he's talking about something else. So he's, he's showing with me some stone that came in from France. Oh. There's three what parts. Was that? was that something else? Was that another David you did? Or was that another Moses you did? No, no, no. Why? Who did the Statue of Liberty? Hold on. <laughs> okay, hold on. Oh. He's showing you the Statue of Liberty, which probably was in three parts. But my point is this. The one piece, the piece of David comes from one piece of marble, okay? And he won that marble when he was 25 years old. Other people competed for it. But when he started work on the marble, there was a flaw. And if you have a flaw in a piece of marble, it falls apart. You, you start chomping in there and it just falls over. So his supposed reportedly his solution was to to tunnel down to the end of the flaw and once he got to the end of the flaw that's where the statue began and it was in i think his left or his right knee david's knee is one is smaller than the other but that's where the flaw was and you and michelangelo you would say that the statue was always in the marble and you let it emerge do you want to talk about that at all? Or was that a good quote or a misquote? No, that was a good quote. He's showing me that was, he went like that again. Um, you can barely see the knee, he says, being imperfect. He said- Yeah, my, my sculptor teacher, good. He, he said that he was more concerned with the hands. Oh yeah, the hands are unbelievable. He said that that was very dramatic. Very dramatic, um, you know, yeah. and the, listen, people and talk. One, there's one eye that was a little bit higher than the other. All right, let me ask you this story. I don't know if it's true or not, but when I was writing the Medici story for HBO, I dug it up and it was when you presented David to the Senate, you know, the, the Florentine Senate, that you pulled off the canvas and one of the senators said, correct me if I'm wrong, his nose is too big. And that you went up with some marble dust and pretended to sculpt on the nose. And when you were done, you said, so how is it now? And that senator said, better. Is that a true story? Or was that just a made up comedy story? No, there was several people. Who criticized him. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? I mean, that's the reason for the story, which is when you hear criticism, just remember, people thought David was, <laughs> oh, and the other thing he said, uh, when, it, when he was asked about the two statues of night and day, 
and somebody complained that they didn't look like the Lorenzo and Giuliano de Medici that were alive. And looked, he's, go ahead. He says they looked better. Well, the quote was, in a thousand years, no one will know the difference. <laughs> and here we are, 500 years later, and nobody knows what those guys look like. So how is it that we can talk to you, Michelangelo? And how can anybody do it? Why us? Because you really wanted to. And you believe that you can. Belief is the number one thing. You have to have some, thank you. You have to have some sort of, atta not attachment, but he's showing my heart. I, I have intentions of talking to him. And so there he was with Luana. You know, but he so, started, they started this early by either putting it in your head or even, thank you, showing me last week or two weeks ago when we talked about, I don't know when we talked about it, but it's a process to get full circle. You have to be patient. I understand. You guys are outside of time. We're in the throes of time. We think about and it like two You'll weeks go ago. research it. I don't have fear with it. I'm sure I got a lot of things wrong and there's still that thing about the whole Statue of Liberty in France and three parts. Well, we can ask him about that. What it, no, I don't want to, no, I don't want to. But I'm saying <laughs> people need to get over their fear and, um, oh, I mean, I believed I talked to William Blake and wrote a book about him. Yes, but my, my I point- I just got shown that. I know I wasn't thinking that. Absolutely. And, and for people tuning in for the first time, who knows, um, when Jennifer's talking about three pieces of marble that came from France, let's be clear, at that time, France had attacked Rome, Avignon, the Pope Clement at some point, they had to defend Rome from the French and the French took over Italy, they took over Florence. So he's correct that France was where you had, if you wanted to get marble from Carrera, you'd have to go through the French because you have to go through the armies. And so he's correct about that. The fact that he would have, that there were three pieces of, of marble that were important to him that had to come from the French, all of that is accurate. The question only would be, what was the end result of those oh, three? Okay. Yes, and did they, was one of them David? Is that what you're saying? Or was one of them, or were, you know, these were other sculptures that you did? You showed me another one out in the garden. Oh, at the, the place that I mentioned before. The Borghese uh, Gardens? Yeah. Okay, and you're saying that, that piece of marble came from French there's two, there's two pieces, there's two statues from Michelangelo that are in the garden that were from France, those two. From that, from whatever that scenario is. Okay, that's great, you see? And by, if I denied it and I said, oh, well, that's not true, you know, I don't believe, or whatever, you see, you lock down the thing and poor Jennifer's just trying to say, look, this is what I'm, he's telling me. I mean, I, you know, why is he showing me the Statue of Liberty? I know he didn't do it, but he's trying to show her that the same process of sculpture that the guy who created the Statue of Liberty in pieces uh, was what happened with, with some of his work well, for whatever reason. And you just allow that you have to do some more digging to figure it out. So how many times have you incarnated since? Let's ask you that. One. One. And when you came back, did you do- And you're still, it, the person's, come on. No, I know you're gonna think this is funny, but I believe it has to do with the name Justin. <laughs> oh, he's hilarious. Well, before we go down that path, Mick, I... the question really is not about who you are or who you become. That's problematic for most people, but I wanna ask you about process. When you come back, do you actively seek out people that you knew previously? Okay. So your question, just repeat the question again. Got well, let's, let's toss it over to Bernini. Well, okay. Have you been back, Bernini? 20 times. 20 times. See, a little bit easier to comprehend. And each time you come back, do you ever, do you see? Oh, okay. To Michelangelo's credit, he says, whoa. 
I was a little bit, I didn't want to come back to a Catholic environment that quickly again. <laughs> a little bit. I, 500 years ago, I okay. I'd heard my whole body ached, you know. <laughs> too be much, I see, too much work. Bernini didn't have it so rough. So Bernini played. <laughs> They're making fun of Bernini. Yeah, 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 it's fun. They just showed me a literal, like a, they showed me a unicorn when they showed me Bernini, which is funny. So, uh, so let's just ask Bernini because it's a little bit easier to comprehend. Pardon me, Michelangelo, you're, you're just too big of a name for us to deal with. So Bernini, in your passages back, were you a, an artist? Were you a musician? Was it the same path or was it something different? I was a banker. I was a railroad operator. I was a Broadway dancer. He didn't come back as a sculpt, like for instance, to sculpt or anything, but he came back like buying everything. Oh, interesting. Because he could appreciate like the work that went into it. The feel of Monte Carlo and being there and having this huge mansion, you know, with fast cars and, and. <laughs> Still the party animal. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and now, listen, let's Obviously, go back. We can't, like, you know, I guess well, we can try. What's that? I'm like, we can't find out if that's true or not. We can't, you know. Well, put it this way. In terms of the hundreds of people that we've interviewed, it's kind of what people say. They come back and do other stuff. And instead of trying to hone in on who that, who's who in the zoo, you know, that person may not want to know. Let me ask you about the flip side. So Michelangelo, you can weigh in. Bernini, you can weigh in. My father mentioned this, that you guys, or architects, are creating places, yes, etheric right. places over there. Let's just talk about, are those places based on your designs that you did in the past? Hold on. It's fascinating, the way they're showing me this. Is, okay, so you have all the channels of TV, right? They're creating a system that is like, you could set it, it's, it's, it almost looks like a different version of, um, what is it called? They've been there, <laughs> the Coliseum. Like all the little holes, but you're jumping in the frequencies of whatever it is that you wanna do or whatever, like, it's like a switchboard operator system that everybody gets to go in and test out whatever it is that they want to do or make their own virtual realities from whatever it is that they, in this system. So, so you're it's, probably, it's like creating architects. So it's you're like creating structures that do other, just like we've talked about this before, like golf courses and stuff like that. Do people come and inhabit these places or hang out? I, I think I got it. My interpretation was wrong, which rarely happens. But what they showed me was when we pass away, it's where we go. And it's like our life reviews. And it's, each box is a different life. Because I'm like, are, is it an art? Are we building our own lives? Are we building, like, are you teaching architects? Like, them, people had to be architects. Um, it's like taking all of the blueprints of all of the people you've ever been and creating your own David or creating your own person that you want to be later. Oh, interesting. So you're working on a, like a holographic idea of who you might be in the future. Yes. All right. Very good. All right. Luana, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing these people forward to us. Is there anybody else that we need to chat with? Hira. <laughs> Hira the dog. Hira, what do you want to say, buddy? I have a chill so bad. Hold on. Tell Robert not to be upset about not seeing me. I'm always there with him. It's almost like he's swearing. Like, I'm always there, damn it. <laughs> and oh, and he's with his mom. He's with his mom. He's with Robert's mom, Helen. Helen, yeah. For those not aware, Robert Town, guy, uh, my old boss, guy wrote Chinatown. His dog passed away and we discovered, Jennifer and I and Robert discovered that we could actually have conversations with his dog, which opened up a field. So let's just talk about this for a second, Hira. We have 
there are many people who want to speak to their animals and pets who crossed over, not just and you, of course, but how do people do that? They feel it. Pet owners always feel their animals around. But what's a way that somebody, I mean, someone's, I've got a lot of me they, emails. So they, okay, we'll get, hold on. You just ask us to come. Do, is it help to have a photograph? A photograph, a collar, the ashes, which he just literally like sniffed the ashes and sneezed. <laughs> but the idea being yeah. that helps the person to focus on the wavelength or energy that was their pet. I've quoted you and I need to get a correction. You've said that animals understand incarnation, how incarnation works, but Way humans do not. Humans. Correct. Way more than humans. Why is that? That's interesting. He's like, if the ant dies, the ant knows it's coming back. They just have, they have a GPS system. Oh, this is fascinating actually. Hold on, let me make sure I'm getting this right. You have a, they have something in them. Oh, wow. That's so fascinating. I wish there was a camera in my head. <laughs> so do I. So, which could be dangerous, but. <laughs> so animals know throughout their lifetimes that they're, unless they're sick or something happened or miss, you know, not, they're, they're not fed properly or they die, whatever it is, they know they're always coming back. They always, they know, they're like sentient beings that know that. And then he showed me babies here, how babies know that they're coming back. So human babies know they're coming back till about seven or eight, and then they lose it. They lose that knowing. Is it the filters kick in? Is that what it is? It's the, <laughs> it's the parents telling them, you're this, you're that, you're my, they, yeah, it's definitely that. Well. We've heard this from a scientific point of view, Dr. Grayson in his book after, Dr. Wamba in her book, Reliving the Past Lives, she talked about it being a right brain, left brain issue where the right brain is aware of stuff and then about the age of eight, it just, it, it parses it into information that is conducive to survival. Filters kick in, but people who have a near death experience, out of body experience, talk to a medium, Mediums, apparently, their filters are goofy. I know you got to go soon. But people, mediums are, uh, they have different filtering. Let's put, just put it that way. So, Hira, let's, let me recap. In order to speak to a pet that has passed away, one, be aware of the fact that they, you might feel them on your bed, you might feel them walking around, et cetera, et cetera. But also, take out a photograph set it up in front of you and do what ask you questions ask us to be there ask us to be love ask us to give signs that pop into your head so ask if you ask for a sign something might pop into your head like i just i just was i my kid my black cat just of 18 years came back what's your cat's name kitty kitty Hira, does it help to say their name aloud? Talk about them in present tense. Does that help? Yes. I haven't thought about my cat. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. But Hira's helping you. So the idea of somebody that you know. Hira is the Luana for animals. <laughs> That's a great quote. Because Lou? he showed me with his clipboard and Lou. He, because he's shown up now a couple times where I didn't know this, but clients are just like, I'm happy that my mom and dad are over there, that they're happy over there. But I really, like Hyrule will show up and tell me, I'm like, there's something about a dog or a cat and they start crying. Like that's just animals wow. so much. Like even my black cat, I miss my black cat. I can't stand the cat that we have now. I think it's crazy. Don't say that, come on. What, is, what does Kitty think about that? Does it's a Kitty blue, put that? It's a blue Russian cat that we got and it only has one, it will only, be with one person my daughter time for a new cat perhaps <laughs> it was and we didn't we didn't pay for, it was a rescue cat people pay oh. for to have a cat like that that's funny lou any of you were a huge cat fan i'm looking at a picture of mr bailey right now and 
Maggie. You said she has like 10 Baileys up there. 10 Baileys up there. Okay, very good. So do you recommend that people get more? Without the fur balls, she says. Without the coughing up the fur balls, which Bonnie did this morning. Thank you very much. Was that you, Lou? Um, (laughs) She said it. That's funny. (laughs) It is funny she'd say that. (laughs) Cats without the fur balls. All right, so people who own a bunch of animals. Did your cat do that daily, or was that just a random occurrence as usual? A random occurrence, probably not for a couple of weeks. The fact that you had mentioned is pretty funny. Um, Okay, Lou, so anybody else that we need to talk to or reference, or I know I'm going to lose Jennifer. Your dad. Oh, hi, dad. What's going on? He said, thanks for coming back to me. Well, you know, I thought, gosh, I can't believe we fascinating over there to listen to it yeah well i can't believe that i neglected to mention it i mean of course the the connections that we have are just so profound and unusual and jennifer and i are doing this so anybody can see that we can you can speak to your father you can speak to your mother you can speak to your grandparents um you know people have trouble with the fact that they've buried somebody and they've gotten over them and here we are saying, they haven't gone anywhere. Why don't you just let yeah. them back in a little bit? Another thing that they're reminding me to say is it's a practice. It's a practice. It's your pineal gland. And you need, you know, it's something that you can harness like any other muscle. If you use it a lot, if you trust your own intuition, if you start going with the flow and ask spirit to guide you, I mean, I do that all the time. Should I take that road or that road? you know, and I'll get a right or a left or whatever. It just, you start playing with it and it becomes fascinating. And then it just becomes a way of life. But it's, it's a muscle you strengthen. People do ask the question, what's the point? You know, live your life, enjoy your life. Why focus on people on the other side? You don't have to focus on people on the, the other side, but they're there to help you. They make life so much better for you. Because they have a different viewpoint that we don't have. So they can, not only are they seeing in the distance, but they can also see in the past to understand why someone might have a a problem or trouble that's been haunting them for, for eons or a long time. Right. So I know you gotta go. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for your gift. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Bernini. I'm sorry I forgot your first name, but it's, I'm sure it's Italian. Very sweet. Whatever it is. Uh, Michelangelo Buonarroti, I appreciate you stopping by. Even if we're trying to get to the accuracy of everything that's happening, it's as best we can do. Anybody can do it. He just showed me books and books, like a whole, like a big, huge leather bound book with tons and tons of, like when you mentioned, we're trying to get to the truth of everything or we're trying to get to the crux of everything. He's like, lifetimes and lifetimes worth of work. Right, right. But thank you for allowing us in to get a little glimpse of your persona and your journey. Ciao. Ciao. All right, thanks, guys. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, Jennifer. Bye.